Hello, and welcome to Research Matters, a podcast produced by the UNICEF Office of Research Innocenti in Florence, Italy. I'm Dale Rutstein, Chief of Communication with UNICEF Innocenti, and today we're talking to members of our education research team, Matt Brassard, Chief of Education Research, and Tom Dreesen, our Education Research Manager. Both work here at our Office of Research in Florence. Now, over the last three months, schools for up to 90% of the world's children have shut down due to the COVID pandemic. And today we want to talk about the challenges of this rapid move to remote learning in low and middle income countries. As a backdrop to our podcast today, Matt and Tom, along with education and data teams at UNICEF headquarters, have just published two important research briefs, uh, Promising Practices for Remote Learning During COVID-19, and parental engagement in children's learning during COVID-19. In today's podcast, we'll be digging into these two themes that are critical for meeting global demand for quality education. Before we get to all that, first of all, let's, I, I'd like to know what is it like to tr be trying to do research um, when you're locked down? Um, how, how are you able to do that? Sure, I mean, I could, I could take this one. Um, so, I mean, I think for, for our research in general, uh, a lot of it is around doing research in country with partners. And of course, that's all been put on hold for the time being. Um, so what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to do remotely what we can. Uh, but the other thing that's been taking up a lot of our time, like you, like you mentioned in the start, is working with our colleagues around the organization uh, in response to COVID-19 and doing research uh, with our country offices, regional offices, and HQ around around that. So that's what we've been kind of focused our, our work on to while trying to move forward uh, with other research programs as we can remotely when it's possible. Yeah. And Matt, um, I, I imagine your teams are in the field a lot. What is it, uh, how do you keep going? Uh, what do you, where do you get data from when uh, you can't uh, be conducting surveys and interviews in the field? Yeah, as Tom said, that's something we cannot do right now, unfortunately, but uh, there are also a lot of uh, the existing data from uh, past surveys that are actually not used enough for uh, policy purpose and for trying to find solutions for the, for the children who are struggling, including during school closure times. So we are trying to use all those data now, even more so than before, to try to bring on the table uh, analysis and, and solution in, in this time um, so we are not unemployed we are lucky to not be employed it's quite the opposite we have uh, we have like actually very long uh, working days but it's it's actually uh, challenging but also extremely interesting can we sum up the state of global education before the outbreak because um, there's a there were a lot of issues even before the outbreak what what can we say about that as a context for talking about what's happening during COVID um, Matt can you start off yeah, now that's a very, very good question. And uh, recently, thanks to, to new data, there is a, a raise of awareness of what we call the learning crisis or the learning poverty. Uh, there is more and more data that show more or less the same, that uh, a lot of kids uh, go to school but don't learn a lot and don't learn even the basic skills, the foundational skills. Uh, recent estimate from the World Bank, for example, show that 53% uh, of uh, children in low and middle income countries cannot read a, a simple text by the age of 10. 
53%. That's 53%, more than half. So and about half of the world's child school children are really not effectively learning. Yeah. Some, some of them are not in school, but it's around 10% when we are talking about primary school age uh, children. But even when they are in school, the, the level of learning is really low. And it's an average. If you look at uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, or low-income countries more broadly, it's 9 out of 10 kids that uh, cannot read a simple text by the age of 10. So that's really wow. uh, heartbreaking. And that's, uh, that really means that we need to do more and more research to try to, to address this learning. Right, right. But now that really, uh, when we're talking about COVID, that's a pretty scary backdrop uh, because obviously there were major disparities around the world. So let's talk a little bit about how the pandemic, like just in general, like what, what has COVID done to them? Now that's a, that's a very good question. Um, of course, uh, as, you, as you said in the introduction, uh, most of countries have had to uh, close their schools, affecting at the peak of the crisis, uh, 1.6 billion learners around the world. Uh, today it's slightly better, but still, uh, as of the latest start of today, 160, 160 countries with uh, schools closed and uh, 1.2 billion uh, learners affected. Um, of course, it has a lot of impact in, in different ways. Uh, first, uh, the loss of learning itself, in particular for those who don't have uh, good solutions, uh, in particular the poorest, but also a potential more longer longer impact. Uh, the, the most vulnerable, will they come back to school when the school will reopen, for example? Also impact in terms of social cohesion, right. impact in terms of violence, etc. Great. Oh, great. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, I want to just mention that um, your team has just completed two Innocenti research briefs uh, along with headquarters colleagues. Um, and these new publications uh, uh, provide a lot of data to help deliver, to help make decisions and plans about how to deliver remote education um, in, in the best possible way. So uh, one of the first the first uh, themes that you've touched on is maintaining equity. And that's equity has always been a huge challenge, as you've just said. Uh, but what about maintaining equity during COVID? You did a survey, Tom, um, uh, uh, of 120 countries. Well, UNICEF has done a survey of 127 countries on how they're delivering education now. Can you sum up what have we learned with, with, that, with the information from that survey? Sure. Um, so one of the one of the main the main the main issues that you bring up, Dale, is the the issue of equity uh, and the and the the big challenge that that's faced uh, with regards to remote education during during the time of uh, during the time of school closures during COVID uh, is that the the same marginalized children that are most likely to be not learning in school in regular times, like the poorest children, are also the most likely not to have access uh, to digital devices that could facilitate uh, learning remotely. Uh, so what we're seeing from the, the survey that went out to, to our country office colleagues all around the world on in terms of what the responses are in education is that there's no one-size-fits-all for delivering uh, remote learning to, to children, and especially for the most marginalized. What we see is 68% of countries are using both digital and non-digital 
pathways for continued learnings, whether that's uh, whether that non-digital means TV, radio, or for about half of the countries that are responding, for the very most marginalized take-home packages for children who don't have access to, to electricity, let alone uh, digital connectivity. Right, so that equates to about two-thirds of um, countries are not able to rely completely on the internet to deliver education. So it's important, I think, for us to realize that internet you know, we in, in, in Italy and the United States, everything is online, but for most of the world, uh, the internet is still not an option. And, and I would say even stronger that even within countries that where, where internet is readily available for large parts of those countries, even in New York, let's say, for example, there's households where reliable internet is simply not an option for, for continued learning. Uh, and even with internet or those types of digital solutions, it might be too expensive for for children to use, uh, as well as parents may not be able to to effectively work with their children in order to use those types of technologies safely. So even within countries where we might seem that uh, the internet is kind of ubiquitous in, in everyday life, there's still large gaps between rich and poor uh, in terms of access. So not only the internet, but other technologies. So, so in, in the poorest countries where there is no internet, paint a picture. What are school syst education systems uh, trying to do to keep education going? Well, a, a, lot have, a lot have relied on the use of broadcast media. So the use of TV, the use of radio. Some countries are, are, using, other, um, are using other streams to reach out to parents and to and to teachers to deliver uh, and caregivers to deliver learning through take-home packages, even through even some countries through the use of uh, putting stories in in uh, newspapers that their mm. parents can read to their children, etc. Mm. So there's different ways that uh, that countries are are engaging with with different parts of their population uh, that might have different levels of access to. To different things. So, I mean, I don't think there's any country where 100% of children are going to be reached by by using the internet. Uh, there's somewhere more or less could be reached. Uh, but what we're seeing, I think, uh, is that among a large proportion of countries, uh, there's there's multiple different pathways that are being used, and that's the way that um, that that UNICEF and different uh, governments around the world are responding. Interesting. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the other major theme of the research we've just put out, um, uh, focusing on the level of parental engagement in education. Um, and the the new research brief has a lot of data about uh, parental engagement in schools under normal conditions. Um, Matt, uh, what can, what does that tell us about education now during the pandemic? Thank you, Dale. It's a very relevant question again. And building on what Tom just said, uh, particular for those who don't have access to anything, even not having access to, to electricity at home, uh, of course, the parental engagement is uh, uh, the only, one of the only solutions to, to try to, to keep on learning for, for the children. Uh, one key stat, for example, in the, the countries with data on average, uh, 60%, 65% uh, of the uh, 
poorest households in uh, those countries have, have access to, to electricity, but it means that 35% do not have access. Hmm. So linking to parental engagement, and thanks to a to, uh, lot of new data that were actually collected, uh, thanks to UNICEF work on uh, household survey, the mixed surveys, uh, we, we can say a lot about uh, parental engagement in uh, normal times that could uh, be important uh, insight for what to do when there is a school closure um, situation. Um, those uh, household surveys, you know, have tested kids uh, from 7 to 14 years old in very big sample in each country, testing their reading and basic numeracy skills. So it's very useful information, in particular because the same survey is also capturing the wealth of each household. So it, it helps also to do some uh, analysis uh, uh, in terms of disparities. What we see in those data is uh, mainly, mainly two, two things. First, that um, there is um, two factors that, that, that can play a big role. The availability of books or learning material and the parental support uh, for their children's learning. And for both of them, we, we, see, we see big disparities. Disparities uh, across countries and disparities within countries. If I'm talking about uh, uh, books, um, for example, in, in Laos, uh, you have only 25% of uh, children overall in Laos uh, that have books at home, child-related, child child-oriented uh, uh, books at home. Uh, and if you look at the... At the poorest quintile in Laos, it's only it's even less. It's 14% only of, of uh, kids from the poorest house. And right, even so in the, the poorest homes, the poorest homes are um, usually having a wider disparity in terms of parental engagement. Now, turning to the COVID. Not necessarily, Dale. Actually, uh, in, in Georgia, which is a richer country, you have a better availability of books at home, like uh, on average 84%. Hmm. But if you look at the poorest quintile children in Georgia, it's only a bit more than half, it's 56%. Meaning 44% of the poorest households in Georgia don't have any access to any child-oriented books at home. Right. And then we have the second thing, uh, how to support our parents when there is books, or even when there is no books, what is the level of parental support to their children's learning? And again, same picture. Right. Big disparities across countries and big disparities within countries. Okay, so I hear, so we've got that picture. Now, um, why is it important when we're talking about COVID and remote learning? How, relate that picture of the, you know, the link between disparities and parental engagement, books at home, reading to children, and how that affects performance. And where we are now, where um, parents are more stressed, they may have lost their jobs. They may be under lockdown. And now the education of their children is more dependent on them. So what, what is, what's the takeaway for education planners and thinkers and development program managers from, for that? Yeah, you raise the right point. Uh, during school closure, in particular in contexts where there is no other solution, the digital solutions, online, TV, radio, uh, the only solution left is to support parental engagement. Uh, uh, and so you rightly, you rightly said the, the, um, what is important for those, the most vulnerable children. And we, we see, we see very, very good results uh, and possible impact of parental engagement. If you look at uh, the province of Punjab in Pakistan, for example, 
Um, as I said before, not all children have access to book, but when there is access to book, we can look at uh, if it makes a difference if the parents read books to their children or not. Right. And, and, and the difference between uh, those reading books and those not reading books is huge. Uh, in Punjab, Pakistan, again, looking at the poorest quintile uh, children, uh, the, 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 the percentage of uh, children that are able to read is only 15% when uh, no one reads book to them. But mm. it is the double, it is 29% that are able to read when there is a parent or double. Uh, caretaker, exactly, double. that can get okay. the book for them. That's a really powerful point. Now, so what, what, uh, what can we say about, do we know what needs to be, what can best help parents who may have very poor education or they might not have books or they might not be reading as a, it might not be a, a habit established. Um, it's, first of all, it's, it's clear that it's vital for education systems to, to really focus on parents and support them. But how do you do that? What are the, what are the best ways of doing that? It's, it's very difficult, for sure. Uh, the, the solution we can see in some uh, countries that are supported by UNICEF is to bring those take-home learning package, for example, that uh, uh, are usually with uh, child-oriented books, in particular in a context where there is not even uh, electricity. Uh, also, a lot of support and the training of parents and communities in order to, uh, to add them to uh, support the children, their children learning, uh, tapping also on techniques that UNICEF uh, has been a champion in the community community for development tools and processes and working with the poorest communities and trying to improve, uh, you know, community engagement and, uh, and facilitation of, uh, of uh, training and of uh, dialogue. So parents now are really more vital part of the education process, although they were vital before, and we now know, I mean, you've documented that really well, it really puts, it elevates the, the urgency of, 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 finding strategies to empower them to support education. Uh, we have to do a much better job of that now. Now, turning to Tom, um, with the closure of so many schools, um, and we're talking about equity, uh, the importance of equity, um, it must be really challenging to monitor both the performance of schools and the performance of teachers and the performance of children. So, um, are children falling through the cracks? I mean, it, it, it looked, it, you know, how do we monitor the effectiveness in this kind of situation? Can we monitor at all? Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the big question right now, Dale. And this is a question that uh, pretty much all of our colleagues in different countries are asking themselves, all of the different governments around the world that are, that are delivering remote learning right now are, are asking the same question is how do we monitor how well uh, the remote learning is working. And the, the short answer is it's very, very challenging. Uh, we can start to think of different ways to, uh, to monitor, take up, I mean, with digital methods, it, it becomes a lot easier, but as you rightly mentioned, that's, that can only reach a, a percentage of the children that we're actually trying to reach, especially those most marginalized children. Uh, so there's different methods that are that are being used by different countries. Some countries are, are, are trying to monitor take up by using simple, uh, simple tools such as like text messages, uh, asking parents if their children are, are, are doing some type of remote learning. 
or using uh, U-Report, which is like a, a, a UNICEF-supported um, messaging platform. Text messaging platform, yeah. It's uh, feedback from parents. Um, but the, the other things that are, that are being discussed right now and are being implemented in different places are, are thinking about how do you do kind of rapid surveys of households remotely, et cetera, to, uh, to try and monitor at least a little bit of take up. Because monitoring of actual learning in these types of conditions is, is extremely challenging. But it's something that UNICEF country offices and regional offices, HQ and, and, and we are, are trying to work towards trying to figure out solutions for it. No, I mean, my, my daughter is a teacher in Brooklyn, and um, she's teaching her fifth grade class remotely, and several kids have dropped off the map, um, yeah. and uh, she just doesn't know where they are. They're not online, um, and so she's kind of blind about their progress. So um, monitoring will be a massive challenge, and um, I'm sure, I mean, you mentioned some really creative uses of technology and techniques, but I'm, I'm sure that, you know, yeah. necessity is the mother of invention and, and there will, new ways will emerge, but it will be a challenge. Yeah, um, and just to, just to add to that, though, I mean, one of the things that we're also seeing and linking back to the discussion on parental engagement is, I mean, not only just monitoring of what children are doing when they're doing remote learning, but making sure you keep the communication lines open with with parents and caregivers, the people that are providing the education, to not only kind of monitor what's going on, but also provide those good practices and support and give like psychosocial support as well as kind of learning support to families during, during the during the I would imagine that uh, uh, parental peer group support is probably a novel idea that needs to be probably looked into much more for many different aspects of, of dealing with COVID. Um, we're running out of time, so I'll ask you to guys to summarize your, your remaining um, um, answers. But moving backwards, taking a step back a little bit, Matt, um, let's look ultimately, like, what can you project forward how this, pandemic, how this pandemic will impact education systems? And I guess we'll focus on low and middle income country systems, you know. So what are we thinking now about the future where, let's say, um, maybe there's, we get in control of the pandemic and, um, or, you know, it may take a short or a longer period of time, but so how, you know, how is this going to impact? That, that's a very challenging question, as you know. I, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> as you know, I mean, the only thing we, we know about is that we don't know much. Um, but, uh, Fair enough, that's a good answer. But that's actually, actually our plan now is to really look even more about the different impacts of the school closure so it could add for a potential future similar pandemic or when there will be a crisis again with school closure and talking about impact not only on learning but also on all the other outcomes like nutrition i mean when the, you have school feeding program without school you you have also some nutrition issues that can yeah be there's been a lot written about that on uh, violence on uh, child labor on uh, health, of course, uh, including mental health, and that's why the psychosocial support is so important. So that's where we are now, and trying to, uh, again, use uh, existing data, using new data that are coming up also, thanks to new survey that we do with, on joint, in coordination with other partners like UNESCO, the World Bank, and we hope to be able to provide in the, in the coming months uh, some new products that would uh, unpack a bit more and try to find, again, good practices good solution in order to, 
to help government to build more resilient and safer education system overall that could also be more equipped to, to, address, to address and respond to, to crises similar to COVID. You, I guess you've touched on it, but can you talk about some specific research plans that you may be looking at um, in the near future? Yeah, they will be around the different uh, stream of work, but uh, around the, the different impact of, uh, of school closure on, on both learning outcomes, but also on uh, the other sectors, nutrition, health, uh, social cohesion, etc. Mm-hmm. Looking also at uh, how to, um, to, to do a school reopening strategy in a good way, because now there are some schools that are, some countries where schools are reopening, and there is a lot to be said about that. And ultimately, uh, also mapping countries and um, trying to have a targeted solution according to countries in reference to the capacity and the resilience of the education system and the vulnerability of children. It's not the same to be in a country where you have a big access to technology than in a country where you have nothing, as we said before. So trying to unpack that even more and to try to, to raise awareness about uh, vulnerability and to uh, identify the possible solution. And of course, keeping on advocating for improving and reducing the digital divide, working with ITU, with other partners to try to, uh, to build the infrastructure needed as soon as possible in the, in the low-income countries. Unfortunately, Matt, we'll have to leave it there. That's, that's really all the time we have for today. This has been a fascinating discussion. There's so much more to say. Um, I want to thank our audience for joining us, and I definitely want to give a big vote of thanks to Matt Brassard and Thomas Driesen from the UNICEF Innocenti Education Research Team. To get deeper into today's topics, uh, download our two latest COVID-19 Innocenti Research Briefs on the challenges of delivering remote education. You can find them at unicef-irc.org. You can also listen to our other great Research Matters podcasts. Look for Research Matters wherever you find your podcasts. And our handle on social media is at UNICEF Innocenti. Please follow us and share our content. That's all for Research Matters today. Thanks to, thanks for listening and stay safe.